It's interesting that I chose this scripture weeks ago, um, not knowing what would be going on in my life and in my world today. And I found early in the week, I looked at the scripture and I thought, what do I have to say about it? And I looked and I looked and I realized that hearing these familiar words can be a place of hope and encouragement, can be a balm in the midst of worry. So hear these words anew this day. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I only know in part, then I will, I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The word of God for the people of God. So if I were to ask each of you what your favorite scripture is, what would you answer? Do you have a favorite? Good Samaritan, yeah. You know, I would be kind of torn whether it would be this 1 Corinthians 13 or Psalm 23. Both are those things that I return to over and over again. So today we get to talk about something that's my favorite. This passage is perhaps more widely recognized 
and a passage that's quoted most times um, than anywhere else in the Pauline letters. So all those letters, this one is the most quoted. I would guess there's probably a million sermons written about this passage. And it's always a challenge to bring a dog-eared, well-used passage to life. As I began, began to look at scriptures that fit the theme for this summer, which is how to be a neighbor, um, I have to admit that I kind of skipped over this one. This was in most lists, but I thought, ah, oh, we've used that so much. And I skipped over it. But the way that such things have a, a calling you back happened to me. And I kept coming back to it and setting it aside. And then I thought, well, you know, if it's come back to me more than once, five or more times, maybe, maybe there is something I need to say about this passage. So here we are today using this dog-eared, familiar passage and trying to see it in a new way. This text is mostly used at weddings because it's often understood as praising the value of romantic love, human love. What is often missed, though, and perhaps actively ignored, is that this text was first written to a community that was having a very difficult time staying together. Perhaps preached with that in mind, though, it might have something to say at a wedding. Perhaps. It is in the difficult realities of relationships and communities that the love described by Paul needs to be lived out in costly ways. Because of that dynamic, the text holds, text holds promise for us. We live out our love in messy, costly, sometimes broken ways. We do. Individually, as a church, as the big C church, we don't always get it right. We don't. So I think that it holds something for us, this group of God's people gathered together today, both here in this building and those that are watching online and those that will watch the recording later. I think that it has something to say to us. I love the way the passage, passage begins. Love is patient. Love is kind. It sounds beautiful, right? Reality might be a little or a lot different than that. You might call this a head in the clouds view. If, if that's what you think love is all the time, love is patient, love is kind. Is that what Paul is doing here, giving us this beautiful view from up here in the clouds where everything kind of looks shiny and good? Is that what's happening here? You know, if I were to write about love expressed in community, 
it wouldn't be so idealistic. I'd probably say things like this, love is hard, love is complicated and messy, and sometimes love is almost impossible. But Paul is wiser than I am. He gave us this lofty view so that when we get back on the ground where, we're, where we work and where we live, we remember that not, we remember not just what love is, but what love is supposed to be. Think about that for just a second. Above the clouds of conflict and stress, we imagine the beauty, the simplicity of loving each other despite our conflicts and differences, so that when our feet hit the dirt again, we have the ideal in mind as we attempt to put love into action. In other words, it's good to see that love is patient, love is kind. It's good to see that even when we know it's hard to achieve all the time. But it's good to see what love can be. Because this passage has been tight, you know, tied tightly to weddings, we tend to think of it in terms of romantic love. I've used this in weddings through the years, mostly because couples have asked for it that way. I was trying to think back when David and I were married 38 years ago, if we had used this passage and I could remember, I'll have to go back into our memory file and see what it is. I'm guessing at the ages that we were at that time, we probably did as we were married at 10.30 in the morning in a mountain chapel in Montana where we had our whole life in front of us and we had this ideal of what our life would be, not knowing that life sometimes takes us sideways and that life sometimes is hard. But at that time, at that place, we were like many other couples thinking that it was easy because we loved each other. Mm. Yeah. How many times in the course of 38 years have we reinvented ourselves? I don't think that I can name how many. Our life has changed. You know, there there's years when when we had young children and we were poor as church mice, where if it weren't for someone who was gracious enough to bring us eggs every week, the kids wouldn't have had full bellies. Or those years when David was so, so busy with church and I never saw him and I was raising the kids. Those things I couldn't have imagined on that morning, that morning in 1984 at Georgetown Lake, Montana, at 10.30 in the morning, I couldn't have known any of those things. So 
as I look at this passage and I think about the fact that often we think of this as romantic love, I take a step back from that. Because I know that there are some things, when you look at the Greek language, there's actually three words for love. There's eros, which would be the, the romantic, passionate kind of love. And there's also philios, which is the, the um, let me think of a, the good word for that. Often in the past, it's been called, uh, you know, brotherly love, but that's not a good word because that doesn't, that limits it. It's the kind of love that happens, say, as we gather together for Thanksgiving meal or Christmas. It's that kind of love that you have with your siblings or friends that are like siblings. That's that kind of love. But it isn't talking about that kind of love here. So that leaves us with the third kind of love, which is agape. Agape is, is kind of steadfast love. It's, it's unconditional love. In the Hebrew part of scriptures, they often call it hesed. And hesed is that, that kind of love that God has for God's people that is without measure. You can't measure it. It's beyond anything that you can think of. And when Paul is talking to these people in Corinth, he's saying, agape is patient. He's saying, agape endures. In our language, love could be love of chocolate. It could be the love I have for my husband. It could be the love I have for my friends. It can be all that. And I think that those things existed in those days. However, in this place, it is this other kind of love, that unconditional, unmeasurable love without end that God has for God's people. That's what... Paul is talking about. There's all of this kind of poetry in this. It's beautiful. And I and I appreciate it so much. But I think sometimes we forget who Paul is talking to. The Corinthian church had a lot of stuff going on. They were having arguments of what spiritual gift was the most important. Was it prophesying? Was it speaking in tongues? What exactly was the most important and gave people the most stature? And so they were having this kind of ongoing argument, and it's to those people at that time that Paul writes these words. Now, before we get, before we judge the Corinthian church too harshly, I want to remind us that in our world today, we have a lot of things that we argue about. I would guess in the course of years in this congregation, there have been some disagreements, am I correct? 
How about in your families? Have there ever been any disagreements? How about, huh? Your neighbors, have there been disagreements there? How about in our community, in our world? We serve the houseless community and there are neighbors that don't think we should be doing that. Those are the kind of things that that are happening in our world. And so I really feel like this is speaking to us this day. That love beyond measure. Love is the shape of life. Of a life that has been set free from competition and comparing that is disrupting this Corinthian church, and I would venture to say disrupting our world. The Corinthians were actively pursuing some of the things that Paul is mentioning. You know, the speaking in tongues, the knowing mysteries, the prophesying, all those things we talked about before. And you know, there aren't any, There's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. There really is not. However, when it becomes the sole focus, it's a problem. And it's a problem when people are so focused on those things that they forget about loving their siblings. Now, by siblings, I mean fellow humans. Without love, it doesn't matter about what our budget says. Without love, it doesn't matter what our building is. Without love, it doesn't matter what missional strategies we have. Such things do not give the church the shape that God desires. We may pursue various forms of spirituality proper doctrine or activism in the name of justice. However, if our pursuit of these these otherwise fine things, if doing that we forget that the church is here to love, we are a clinging God. Hounding God. The, the word there for what happens to the symbol is a noisy symbol. The Greek there is a noisy, and it's kind of noisy that's amplified. We are those, we, we're making noise, but we're not making a difference. So when we look at love a little differently, at the way Paul is talking about it, we see something that is a verb, an action word. You know, in this passage, it's used like 16 times that love is an action word. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's action. Love it. But it could actually say, if we were to translate directly, love is being patient. Love is being kind. Love is not being arrogant. Love is not being rude. Love is busy 
Love is an active thing that never ceases to work. And if that is not about loving our neighbor, I don't know what it is. When love becomes action, I think that that loving neighbor idea shines bright. So we don't have this flowery description of what love is when we first read this passage. It's not an abstract idea. Instead, it's what love does. And especially what love does as we help our fellow humans. Such an amazing, amazing thing. And it's interesting that Paul puts this against faith and hope and says that faith will pass away, hope will end, and love will remain. My guess is he's talking about, when he talks about faith ending or fading, it's not that they stop having faith. He's thinking that the second coming is coming and they won't need that anymore. However, the things we do in love remain. I think it's interesting that Paul never says that love feels good. He doesn't say that. Not explicitly. Love can feel good, but sometimes love doesn't feel good. But agape love is totally different. If we look at love in this in this broader sense in this active sense, in this way of doing love, it opens us up to following the law and the prophets, which is, remember Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second being love your neighbor as yourself. This kind of love, this unconditional love, changes the world every single day. And oh, I'm not going to let you off the hook at all in remembering the part about having love for self as well. If you love yourself unconditionally, your world is locked, your life changes, and you are able to love neighbor in ways that you can't even imagine. Now, I know that's hard to do, but I want you to remember that God loves you without measure. God loves you more than you can even imagine. God loves you just the way you are. But as an old song back in the day said, 
God loves you just the way you are today, but much too much to let you stay that way. Friends, we evolve in loving self and loving neighbor. We evolve as a community who is called to love. Each day we grow and change. Each day we step a little higher up and deeper in into the love that's, that's without end. And that is God's gift to us. And that's what Paul is talking about to those people in Corinthians, in the Corinthian church who are, who are arguing over who's better. He's saying, get rid of all that stuff. But think about the most important thing, and that thing is something you can hold in your hands, in your and that is love. And there's good news when we think about that because we don't have to love alone. We are never alone. We have a God who loves us. Jesus who leads us. The Spirit who guides us. And even then, that's not alone with those. We have each other. We have each other. We are not alone. We can love because God already knows us and loves us. As my mom says, warts and all. And God is working within us, working in our lives, working in our communities. So that this busy, active, tireless love that is our God's blossoms here. We have a God who loves us beyond measure. I'm saying it again. We have a God who loves us beyond measure. We have a guide that leads us. We have an example that shows us. And I want you to remember that with those things, there's no stopping us. We will change our world. We don't know what that looks like yet. And we're already doing it. We're already doing it. We're already doing it as I look at that pantry, as I look at the, the ways that people have stepped up and helped beautify our building, we're already doing it as we love each other every single day. May God give you the assurance, the reminder that you are loved beyond measure today and always. Amen.